Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Catch the rest of the NCAA tournament at Walters on the 30-plus televisions available. Plan your opening day at Walters. Visit waltersdc.com and click on reservations. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Before the lockout, I made sure that we reached out to everyone and let them know that, you know, when this happens, it'll happen quick. So um, you guys got to be, you know, typically we say, hey, be in really good shape so that you can work hone on your baseball skills. Now it was like, hey, you got to be baseball ready. We don't know what they would do, but plan on having games like right away. I mean, we only have a short period of time. So, man, these guys came and they look good. And, they, you know, I went around asking all of them how they're doing and they all said they want to play. You know, they're ready to play. They're ready to get up bats and get their reps. So that's really good for us. And welcome to Nats Chat for Wednesday, March 23rd, 2022, along with Nats insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Mark is in West Palm Beach, Florida, site of National Spring Training. It feels good to say that. Uh, I am back in the Washington, D.C. area, where the weather actually hasn't been that bad. I mean, I won't say it has been West Palm Beach-like, but actually has not been that bad here in the nation's capital here lately. We're a little more than two weeks away from opening day on April 7th. There have been a number of Nationals developments since our last installment of the podcast last week. We will be getting to all of the major items over the course of this episode of the podcast. But Mark, you are in West Palm Beach. Have you seen any camels yet during this Nats camp? No camels, no wild animals so far, Al, at camp. It's still early, remember. I know it's you know, late March, but for this camp, it's still early. So there's always the possibility of something. But I got to tell you, I'm, I'm going to try not to like brag too much here or make too big a deal out of it. But it's really nice to be here. <laughs> it's been two years since I've been here. Obviously, the weather's beautiful, but just the opportunity to be out there on the backfield watching the guys again, to go into the clubhouse for the first time since the beginning of the pandemic and really get to talk to guys and get to know them. It's a breath of fresh air. And I don't know if it's because of that or it's just always the way that it is in spring training, but I feel like as a team, they're really loose. They're really enjoying themselves. It's kind of an upbeat vibe right now. We'll see, you know, whether that changes over time, but it's been a very pleasant group to be around. I'll tell you that. Uh, Some business to make mention of. A new Nats Chat t-shirt is coming. Be on the lookout for this. A new red Nats Chat t-shirt is on the way. You'll be able to get that like you can get all Nats Chat merch at our website, natschatpodcast.square.site. That's natschatpodcast.square.site. Also, if you are interested in being a sponsor of the Nats Chat podcast, if you are interested in advertising 
on the Nats Chat Podcast and reaching thousands of Nats fans every day during the national season. Uh, email the brains behind this operation. Mark and I are the brawn, uh, but Tim Shovers is the brains. You can hit him up at NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. That's NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. So yeah, I wanted to ask you about this. Rob Manfred a few weeks back said that media access would return to pre-pandemic times. Uh, is that in fact the case? Is it like it's 2019 all over again? It absolutely is. And it's a glorious thing. And I honestly didn't know if that would ever happen again. If you go back to about March 8th or 9th or something of 2020, as the pandemic was really starting to hit everyone and understand like the severity of this, they closed clubhouses. And we were still here for a few more days after that. And they were making players come outside to talk to us. And they were telling us, try to stand six feet apart and all that. And, and I'll, you know, <laughs> I'll be honest, I kind of thought this is ridiculous. Like, where's the danger here? We're just This isn't anything serious. And then obviously three days later, the whole world shut down. And I flew home, they canceled camp, and they didn't all reconvene until late July. So because they didn't have clubhouse access during 2020 or all of 2021, the thought was, well, we may not get it back again, that maybe players in particular would say, you know, we don't need them in here. We don't want that. I'm glad to see that as part of the new CBA, they restored the old rules. Now, media members have to be vaccinated. They have to be boosted and they have to wear a mask inside the clubhouse. So those are the, the requirements for us. The players, because in their CBA, are not required to be vaccinated or masked. So it makes for a little bit of an odd dynamic. But, you know, I think most of us feel like it's a small price to pay to get the access back that we've lacked all this time. And it just it makes such a difference. I mean, there are guys on this team that I've, quote unquote, covered last year, but never really got to know. You just didn't have the opportunity to spend any quality time with them. And now all of a sudden, just in being down here for the last five days, I feel like I'm starting to really get to know them. And I hope it makes a difference and people notice it in the coverage over time. So as everyone listening knows, the pandemic, hopefully, it looks like here is winding down. And, you know, I don't want to declare the whole thing over for good, but it certainly feels like we are finally coming out of this thing. The NFL late last NFL regular season abandoned, basically, NFL COVID-19 protocols and actually put out an announcement recently saying we're done with COVID-19 protocols. Where is MLB with COVID protocols? Are we not going to even have testing this coming season? Is there still going to be testing? Obviously, the Nationals got hit quite hard with a COVID outbreak last year and uh, over the course of the season had to deal with some stuff, although you know, guys, for the most part, were just fine. But where are we with MLB COVID protocols? So I know there is still some testing going on because uh, there were people at the ballpark uh, the other day taking care of that stuff. I don't know the specifics, and I'm not sure that MLB has formally announced. You know, that CBA came together so quickly, and it was such a scramble to get to opening day. There are a lot of items that there. I think they were still really hashing out the final details of, and they essentially have till opening day to figure that all out. So I think there will still be some amount of testing, but I can tell you, you know, good news, knock on wood, I don't think I've heard of any positive cases across any spring training camp so far. And you would hope that that continues. I mean, you're going to start to get to a point where there's more mixing and matching of different players and different teams and travel will start up and that'll be another important test. But it's definitely a different vibe than a year ago as far as that's concerned. And the hope would be that, you know, there'll probably be the occasional... Somebody has to go in the COVID IL for a few days, something like that. But the hope would be that it's not nearly the same kind of issue that we dealt with the last two years. I was laughing about this the other day. So I remember when Eric Fetty tested positive last year and we were like, oh, but he was vaccinated. How could he test positive? And of course, you know, we come to find out, unfortunately, with Omicron, you could be vaccinated, but still get the darn thing. Now, 
being vaccinated help you to not have like serious symptoms from it. But like millions of people ended up testing positive for COVID despite being vaccinated. So it's just funny how our perspective and knowledge on all of this changes. But yeah, great to hear that uh, media access is back to where things were a few years ago. And obviously, we hope that that continues. A lot of things have popped up with the Nats in recent days. Maybe the biggest item, certainly the most feel-good item, was uh, Nats managing principal owner Mark Lerner on Monday night during a Masson telecast of a Nats St. Louis Cardinals exhibition game announcing June 17th and 18th, we are going to honor Mr. National, Ryan Zimmerman, and uh, have a special giveaway on the 17th and 18th. We're going to retire his number in front of a hopefully a big crowd to honor him. And we're really excited about it. He deserves it. And uh, we're, we're honored to be able to do it. The Nats uh, did not wait at all to retire Ryan Zimmerman's number 11. So first of all, the schedule this season we know is so condensed. The Nats in June are going to play five games against the Philadelphia Phillies over four days at Nationals Park. It's going to be a doubleheader on Friday and then a game on Saturday. June 17th is that Friday. There will be, I guess, like a Ryan Zimmerman-themed giveaway, I'm assuming, for the night game. And then the number 11 is being retired prior to the Saturday game. So this isn't a deal where you wait a year or two. This isn't even a deal where you're waiting like deep into the season. Like, no, June weekend series against the Phillies. Ryan Zimmerman, nobody's surprised that this is happening. Any surprise at all from you on like the timing of it, just that it's happening as quickly as it is happening? Not really. I think we talked about in our episode after Zim retired, okay, you know, when are they going to do this and should they take their time and how do you make those kind of decisions? And Yeah, there are some organizations that would maybe wait it out a little bit, but I feel like we knew all along, if there's anybody that's a clear-cut case, you don't really have to wonder, is it the right move or not to retire number 11? You know, this was the one, obviously. And I think also just the nature of last season, how it went, the fact that his retirement announcement came during a lockout, so they never had a press conference, anything like that. He was down here. It was actually before I got to uh, camp, and he was down here for a couple of days working with guys, and he'll be around on occasion. But, you know, there really hadn't been any kind of formal goodbye for him. So I think it makes sense to do that this year. They picked, you know, a weekend where you know it's going to be a lot of interest anyways with the Phillies in town. Bryce Harper, Kyle Schwarber will be in town with the Phillies. So I think it makes sense. My hope would be is that in the future, when there are other players that they're considering doing these kinds of things for, that they don't necessarily just rush into it like this. But if there's one guy who earned it, I think this is the one. I don't think anybody's going to say, well, hang on. I don't I'm not sure this is the appropriate recognition for Ryan Zimmerman. From a promoting perspective, did you ever think that they might try to do the Zimmerman jersey retirement during a weekday game since weekend games usually are well attended? I mean, you know, Nats Phillies in June probably going to draw good crowds anyway. I'm not saying to do it on a Tuesday night against the Pirates in August, but like if you're thinking about this from a promoting perspective, you would think, well, why don't we try to spice up a crowd for some weeknight game? I don't have a problem with them doing it during a weekend game, but I just find it interesting. Like you would think about the strategy behind this. Maybe it might have made a business sense to do it during a weekday game, but I guess uh, the Nats didn't feel that way. Yeah, the thought crossed my mind too, but I'll tell you just because I've been at other, you know, when the Nats have been on the road somewhere and it happened to be when they were doing something like this, honoring a, an ex-player retiring a jersey. And I feel like it's almost always inevitably a Saturday night. So I think there's just sort of like a, those are the biggest crowds. And in a way, it's almost like, okay, you're guaranteed to have a great scene there that night. Whereas if you announce it for a Tuesday night, maybe you sell out, but maybe not enough people get the word of it, or it's a school night and people say, well, I would go, but it's not the best 
you know, night for us all to travel, something like that. I get what you're saying. Like I've had that same thought, but I think there are certain things that you just say, hey, we're going to make it as big a deal as we can. And what's the biggest night with the biggest attraction at a ballpark? It's a Saturday night over the summer, to be honest. And I don't know if this was actually intentional or not, but June 18th will actually be the 16th anniversary of his first career walk-off homer. against the Yankees at RFK Stadium. Now, I have no idea if that was intentional. It it worked out. It's a Saturday. It's against the Phillies. It made sense from that. But there's a little nice symmetry there if that crossed their minds at all. That would make sense. That would make sense. So the Ryan Zimmerman jersey retirement is a feel-good development for the Nationals in recent days. And then there is a not-so-feel-good development for the Nats in recent days. And that is this Carter Keboom situation. Man, this guy just cannot catch a break in terms of his career getting on track. The Nats on Monday afternoon announced multiple roster moves, among them putting Carter Keboom on the 60-day injured list, not the 10-day injured list, the 60-day IL with a right elbow UCL sprain and a right flexor mass strain. We had learned in recent days that he had the right flexor mass strain. The Nats, in announcing this transaction, also tacked on a right elbow UCL sprain. Many people listening know this, but in case you don't, things like flexor mass strains and UCL sprains normally, or at least can be precursors to Tommy John surgeries. We don't know with certainty that Carter will need Tommy John surgery, but we do know that sometimes position players need Tommy John surgery. Matt Wieters underwent Tommy John surgery years ago. Look, I know that it wasn't a guarantee that Carter Keyboom was going to be the Nats opening day third baseman, but I find it funny. David Martinez did in recent days uh, say that he wanted Carter to be the Nats uh, starting third baseman. We know the deal with Carter Keyboom. He has struggled so far. His first three major league seasons have not gone well, 2019 through 2021. And now you have him on the 60-day IL, what, a week or so into spring training. I mean, you know, I feel for the guy. This is an awful development for him. And I guess his season may be in jeopardy with him already being on the 60-day IL and the potential here for him needing Tommy John surgery. Yeah, so it is possible. As as we're recording this, we don't know the exact process of what's going to play out. And what's interesting is how this is kind of over a couple of days magnified. It's kind of grown bigger, sounding at least more severe. Let's take you through all this. He's working out. He's supposed to be in the lineup on Friday night. He's doing his afternoon defensive drills. He said everything felt fine up to that point. Never had any issues with his elbow prior to this. Uh, he was making throws to second base and throws to first base. And then all of a sudden, just on one throw, he said his right arm, his elbow didn't feel right. He thought, well, that's strange. I've never had that before. Tried to fight through it a little bit. It wasn't going away. Tried to take some swings. It still wasn't going away. So he notified the team. They scratched him from the lineup. They scheduled him for an MRI the next day. So the next day, Saturday, they take the MRI. They get a couple of doctors to review it. They came back with the diagnosis of this flexor mass strain. Now, that is a series of tendons and muscles in the forearm that are kind of connected to the elbow, and they can be a precursor, like I said, to the actual ligament and to Tommy John surgery. But the initial word was, it's just a flexor mass strain, but we're going to give it a few days for the swelling to go down, run some more tests just to make sure that the ligament is fine. Okay. Then we talked to Carter the next day, and he said he's pretty confident it's nothing more than that. He's looking at four to six weeks of being out. Then they make the announcement yesterday of the roster move, and they say, oh, he's on the 60-day IL with the flexor mass strain and the UCL sprain. 
Now, a UCL sprain, by definition, a sprain is a tear, but it is there are degrees of it. So like Joe Ross had a UCL sprain last year, did not have surgery. They said you can rehab this, so it's only a partial tear of it. It's my understanding is that's what we're looking at here. When I asked Davey Martinez last night about it, he said his understanding of it is that the flexor mass strain is still the more significant of the two, that this wasn't some kind of brand new development that changes the whole outlook of it. And they are still looking at six weeks of rest and rehab before he starts up baseball activities. Obviously, it's two months till he's allowed to play because of the 60-day IL. Now, what does that all mean in the end? I don't know, except to say it's not good for Carter Kibu. After two years of being given opportunities to win this third base job and not doing enough to really secure it, he comes to camp this year with another opportunity to win the job, and he doesn't ever even get into a game because of this. Now, maybe there's still time down the road. Maybe he is back in June, something like that. But you do wonder how many more chances does this guy get? And at what point is that opportunity to sort of pass him by and they have to look elsewhere? The problem is the other options they have at third base right now are not real appealing. No, Michael Franco would appear to have the inside track on being the Nats opening day third baseman. Michael Franco, one of about 200 veterans who the Nats have signed the minor league contracts here for camp, although the Midas touch that Mike Rizzo has had in recent years of signing older players or at least veteran players who look like they're done, and then those guys doing well for the Nats is like a mile long at this point. So watch Michael Franco be Mike Schmidt this upcoming season. I mean, the 2022 season will only be Franco's age 29 season. He feels older because he was with the Philadelphia Phillies for years. At one time, was actually considered to be a pretty promising guy with the Phillies, but he never really ended up working out. He actually was decent for the Kansas City Royals in 2020. He played for the Orioles last season, and he was not good. His wins above replacement for baseball reference for last season, minus 1.6. So he was well below replacement level last year. But you know, Alcides Escobar had sort of a similar narrative with him coming into last season, and we all know what ended up happening with him with the Nats. So I don't know. I don't dismiss anyone at this point in terms of Mike Rizzo acquiring these veterans because so many of them do well. But I mean, look, the Nats, they're a rebuilding team, right? So to sit here and say, well, Mike Rizzo has to make a move for a third baseman seems kind of silly. That said, we know how Rizzo operates. And man, I mean, there really aren't many options for third base right now. Do you think a trade could be coming from Rizzo? I think it is possible. Just because, like we just said, there's not a lot of options there. And if Kiboom really is going to be out for any length of time, Michael Franco is your starting third baseman. And as we just said, you just outlined the numbers. I mean, he had a lower OPS and a worse defensive run saved in the field last year than Carter Kiboom did. And Carter Kiboom did not have a good season. So Franco really did not have a good year in Baltimore. Now, the options beyond him are even thinner. They have a guy named Richard Arania on a minor league deal who has a little bit of experience, but nothing, not a guy that came into camp expecting to be talking about at all. And then they have Ere Adrianza, a veteran utility man who they signed to a major league contract right before camp started. They like him a lot. They want to use him in a lot of different positions. I don't think they necessarily want to view him as an everyday third baseman. So I do think it's a concern. There's a couple things here. There's one, who's your just sort of get through it for now third baseman? But really, more importantly, is who's your long-term answer at third base? That's what this season is about, is about identifying long-term parts of the puzzle. There was still hope that Carter Keeboom could be that, and maybe there still is, but we're not going to know that for quite a while now. If there's nobody else in-house who you could put out there that you think might be part of the equation, do you need to now do a little better job of just filling that with someone that you feel a little bit better about, somebody 
I'm going to throw a name out there as Rubel Cabrera, who's still available. <laughs> Something like that to just kind of get you through the first part of this season with somebody who's a little more of a known quantity. I don't know. I don't know if that's where they're going to go or they're just going to stick with Michael Franco. But in both the short term, but I think more concerning in the long term, I'm not sure anybody really knows who their third baseman's going to be, not just this year, but next year. Don't give Mike Rizzo any ideas, okay? Because if a guy is an older player and he played for the Nationals in 2019, you know that Rizzo wants to bring him back. I mean, my gosh, this team, Anibal Sanchez, Sean Doolittle, Gerardo Porro, the list goes on and on and on of guys who Rizzo keeps bringing back or has brought back. Hey guys, Al Galdi here for Window Nation. Spring has started and so too has Window Nation's start of spring sale. With up and down temperatures, is it difficult to stay comfortable in your home? Uh, Your windows may be ineffective, maybe more ineffective than a bad bullpen. And who wants that? But the good news is that you can upgrade your windows with Window Nation. Beat the spring rush at Window Nation and get special spring savings. Mention my name, Al Galdi, and get two free windows with every two that you buy. There is no limit. Plus, make no down payments and pay no interest for two full years. Start enjoying energy savings now with new Window Nation windows, all while upgrading the look and feel of your home. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. Again, mention my name, Al Galdi. Get two free windows with every two that you buy. No limit. Plus, make no down payments and pay no interest for two full years. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here's Luis Garcia. Garcia hits one high and deep to right field. Sanchez drifting back, looking up. This one's way back there, and it is long gone. Caught by a fan in the first row of the second deck. Luis Garcia goes yard, his sixth home run of the season. The state of the Nats infield. So, okay, just go around the infield, right? Capert Ruiz figures to be your everyday catcher. Josh Bell figures to be your everyday first baseman. We'll have some Riley Adams mixed in there. It certainly sounds like Cesar Hernandez is going to be the everyday second baseman, and Davey wants him to be the leadoff man. We got to talk about that. Michael Franco, for now, is your third baseman, and from what I've been gathering, from what I've been reading from you, Alcides Escobar is the shortstop. So we have a rebuilding team, and in the infield, it looks like you're going to have Franco at third, Escobar at short, Cesar Hernandez at second base. There was a guy, what was his name again? Oh yeah, Luis Garcia, who was supposed to be a middle infielder of the future. 
You're going to have to explain this to me. Why isn't Luis Garcia being set up to be an everyday player for the Nats this coming season? What are the Nats doing wasting their time with the Escobars and the Hernandezes of the world? It's a great question, Al, and I've been kind of wondering it myself. And I've been wondering it since the day they signed Cesar Hernandez. This goes back to pre-lockout. He was one of the guys they signed right before the lockout. And because it was last minute, we never got to talk to Rizzo or anybody about that move and figure out what they were doing because the insinuation was, well, this guy's a second baseman. You just paid him $4 million. What does that mean for Luis Garcia? Is he going to play shortstop? And the answer was, yeah, we think that's where we're going to do it because that is, you know, his quote unquote natural position growing up, even though he hasn't played it much in the big leagues and it's kind of looked shaky when he has been there. Well, then out of the blue, Davey says the other day that he's looking at Escobar as his starter at shortstop and kind of is hinting at the fact that they just don't think Luis is ready. They think defensively, there are a lot of lapses out there. Offensively, he needs to do better against left-handed pitching. And I mean, that's all correct. I mean, he's not wrong in saying all that. And I can't help but think about the circumstances in which we've seen Luis Garcia in the major leagues the last two years has been either because of injury. In 2020, he was called up when Starlin Castro broke his wrist or because of trades. Essentially, he was the replacements for Josh Harrison and Trey Turner when they were traded at the trade deadline last year. And so they threw him into the fire. And I just wonder if deep down they felt all along like he's not actually ready yet for this. And Davey said, like, look, if he's not playing every day in the big leagues, we don't want him coming off the bench. We'd want him playing every day at AAA. So reading between the lines, it certainly sounds to me like he's ticketed for Rochester, which may be best for his development. But like you just said, if you truly are a rebuilding team, if there's ever a time to just throw a kid out there and let him sink or swim and not feel the pressure of, oh, the first time you make a mistake, you're going to be demoted, this would seem to be it. But for whatever reason, they're not conveying that they think he's ready for it or that they think it's best for him or the team to let him sink or swim at the big league level right now. So I'm glad you brought up the circumstances under which Luis Garcia previously had been brought up to the majors, because I remember bringing this up to you last summer. You know, normally when the Nats have a highly regarded prospect, they bring him up and he stays up, right? Unless there's some unforeseen circumstance. Luis Garcia has been jerked up and down majors, minors a bunch of times. And when he has been brought up to the majors, he hasn't necessarily played. And so it has felt to me like they don't really view him as a highly regarded prospect. They like certain things about him clearly, but they don't look at him the same way that he gets talked up by some people. And this latest development to me is further reason to believe that, that they maybe just think that he's a utility guy or just a bench guy and that he's nothing more than that. But I don't understand at all when you're a 97 loss team the previous season, investing any kind of time or resources in a Cesar Hernandez or an all CDs Escobar. I was fine with the Nats bringing back Escobar. He was a bright spot as last season went on, but we discussed this. Like, how about Alcides Escobar is the new, is Drubal Cabrera, right? A super utility guy, a veteran who can help along someone like a Luis Garcia. Like, yes, there are lapses in the field, but there also are spectacular plays in the field. And how do you get better in the field if you're not playing in the field? And I'm talking at the major league level, not at the minor league level. And I know that offensively, he's far from a polished product, but I remember he hit a bunch of doubles last season. And again, like, let the guy take his lumps and see where you're at. This is reminding me of the Victor Robles thing. Now, look, Robles didn't do enough on his end to earn continual playing time. But like 97 losses last year, like what are we doing here with Hernandez and Escobar and maybe now 
Michael Franco. I find this to be very bizarre. It's almost like they're in denial about what they are. Like, if you're not contending, you're rebuilding, and they're rebuilding. So rebuild. Embrace that for a season or two. You're not wrong in a lot of what you're saying there, and it is a little bit baffling. And I think what it may amount to is that the last two months in particular of last season were so tough to watch for this team. Once the trades went down and when they were losing games at a rate that we have not seen in a long time, that I wonder if somewhere within the organization, whether that's on the ownership level, the GM's office, the manager's office, or a combination of all of them, there was a feeling of, yeah, we are thinking long-term here. That's the goal. But in the meantime, we want to put a more respectable product on the field right now. We know we're not contenders, but we also don't want to go full-on obvious tank. We're trying to lose 100 games. I know Mike Rizzo, it's hard for him to do that. That's not who he is, that kind of guy. And I know Davey, as a manager, wants to put his best team out there who he thinks gives him the best chance on a given day. And I wonder if they feel like having some of these more experienced players helps accomplish that without necessarily hurting the long-term development. Now, I don't know what's right for Luis Garcia if playing every day in the big leagues right now would be better or worse for him. Maybe maybe it would be worse if he really struggled and it was obvious he's just not a big leaguer. Maybe that's worse for his development. I don't know. Like I said, he did kind of get rushed to the big leagues in the past. He would not have been called up under normal circumstances. And let's also remember, I know we've talked him up and we've seen some exciting things from him. And at a time when they didn't have a lot of top prospects, he was a name to watch. But he doesn't really rank on a lot of these top prospect lists overall. So he's not necessarily thought of in the same regard as, you know, Cade Cavalli, Josiah Gray, Cabert Ruiz, those types. He's a different type of prospect. And maybe we're starting to see evidence of how the organization really feels about him. Luis Garcia, last September, and I know you have to always be careful with September numbers in baseball, but Luis Garcia for the month of September 2021, 271 batting average, 477 slugging percentage, 768 OPS. He hit 11 doubles in the month of September. Maybe that's entirely a function of a guy just racking up some meaningless hits in a lost season late in that season. Or maybe, just maybe, he started to figure some things out. I think it would be a real shame if he doesn't begin the season as an everyday player for the Nats, unless there's stuff behind the scenes that we don't know about. And I'm always open to that. You know, the Nats have information that we do not know. Maybe there are things behind the scenes that scream for Luis Garcia to not be an everyday player. But I did find that really interesting recently in an article you wrote for MassInSports.com. So exhibition games have begun for the Nationals. We had Anibal Sanchez uh, making a start the other day. And You know, it's funny. I mean, Anibal Sanchez is here. He hasn't pitched in the majors since the 2020 season. He was not good in that season. But, you know, Mark, the more I think about this, the more I kind of feel like Anibal Sanchez may well begin the season in the Nationals rotation. And I know he looked pretty good in that outing the other day. But, you know, don't sound at all like Steven Strasburg is going to be good to go to begin the regular season. We know that the Nats are lacking in pitching depth, period. Right now, I feel like if you're a betting man, you actually should put your money amazingly on Anibal Sanchez beginning the regular season in the Nats rotation. I agree, Al. And it's pretty remarkable that we're saying that. I mean, a week ago, 10 days ago, would we have even considered that possibility that not only would Anibal Sanchez be in camp, but that he'd probably be in the opening day rotation. And that's both a function of him showing up in good shape. And I mean, I've watched him throw and I watched him pitch the other night and he was throwing in the low 90s. You could see Davey's been talking about how he's got much more extension 
on his pitches, how he's finishing stronger, that he didn't see that same thing in 2020 for whatever reason. And Annabelle talked about how fresh he feels, you know, but sitting out last year, it's not like he missed a season because of injury. He missed a season because he chose not to play because he probably wasn't getting the kind of contract offer that he wanted, but that leaves him really fresh. And maybe that can mean something and, and actually help. He looked good. It's, you know, a couple innings of a spring training game. I don't want to read too much into it, but he certainly looked good. But beyond that, I'm going to give you what their options are right now in the rotation. Like you said, Strasburg, I mean, he's healthy by all counts. And I've watched him throw live BP and he looked, you know, as close to normal as I could tell you that he is. I don't know what the velocity was, but it seemed normal to me in talking to some guys who uh, faced him and caught him. They, they felt the same way, but he's going to take his time. There's no reason if you're Steven Strasburg coming off the two years that he's had to rush this and try to get ready in three weeks instead of the normal six. So I think barring any setbacks, he's going to miss the first, you know, couple of turns around the rotation and then they'll activate him in mid to late April at some point and then be off and running. But he's out of the mix. Joe Ross is on the 60 day IL now because he has a bone spur in his elbow that had to be removed. And so that's going to be a while for him. So what are we talking about? Patrick Corbin? Number one, Josiah Gray is two. Eric Fetty, who I think in a best case scenario, we were talking about all winter that there may they may have five better starters than him. I don't know if they do right now. He just pitched last night, so that's three. Josh Rogers, who looked good in September, and you know, certainly would come to camp in the mix for a spot. Kind of looks like it's a close to a lock for him, is four. And now Annabelle Sanchez. And the only other options are Aaron Sanchez, the guy with big league experience who they signed to a minor league deal. But he needs to prove that he's healthy after missing a lot of time. He's pitching in an inter-squad game today, and you know we'll see how that goes. And I don't sense that he's built up enough to be considered at least opening day for rotation spot. And then what else are we talking about? We're talking about Cade Cavalli, who I know we want to get to, but I don't think seriously is in the mix for an opening day rotation spot. We are going to see him eventually. Our boy Paolo Espino, who we love and who is here, but I think at the moment is being viewed at as more of a swingman likely long reliever in the bullpen. He's available to start if they need him, if other things happen. And I don't know beyond that who else they really have that you'd consider a serious threat to be in the rotation. They could always sign someone else still at this point. There are starters out there, but we're coming up on two weeks to opening day. They're not going to sign somebody who's ready to pitch in two weeks in a big league game. It's a reminder that the Nationals still have a lot of work to do in terms of accumulating prospects and reestablishing pitching depth in the organization. You know. When you say that a team is rebuilding, like not all rebuilds are the same. There are various phases to a rebuild. And first, there's the recognition that it's time to rebuild. Then you have to go through the process of stockpiling prospects. And then you have to go through the process of those prospects rising through your organization and reaching the major league level and then hopefully blossoming into quality major league players. The Nationals are still in this phase of needing to acquire more prospects. The sell off of last late July help to take the farm system from being the worst in baseball to maybe being now like in the bottom third of baseball, something like that. But we still need a lot more done in the way of trying to reestablish the inventory here in terms of pitching prospects. Like the fact that we're talking about Anibal Sanchez and Aaron Sanchez, that says a lot about where the Nats still are in terms of that pitching depth. So really can't emphasize enough the importance of trying to get more prospects this year, trying to flip people whenever possible and, uh, you know, kind of see how we go that way. But you know, I think part of what we discuss here is like, are you almost like treading water right now if you're the Nats and just kind of like biding your time until you get more prospects? Like, 
all these additions this offseason of, you know, veteran players, the Cesar Hernandez's and the Michael Franco's and the Anibal Sanchez types, like Mike Rizzo's doing this because he doesn't have other options. And I don't want this to be a wasted season. Like whatever you can do to develop young players, do do. And then hopefully you can somehow get your hands on some more prospects. Maybe end up trading away a Nelson Cruz. Maybe end up trading away a Josh Bell. But I think that this is a really key thing with the Nats. They still have a lot of work to do in terms of trying to rebuild that farm system. Yeah, agree 100%. But I think the other point that we want to make sure we make here is there's always so much focus on who's going to make the team out of spring training. And I think especially this year, it's less important who's in the opening day rotation than who's in the rotation come June, come August, and especially at the end in September. It's going to look different by then. Uh, like I said, you, the hope would be that Steven Strasburg, a few weeks into the season, is ready to go and that he's off and running the rest of the way, and now he's a big part of it. Cade Cavalli, I'm pretty sure, is going to be a part of the rotation sometime this season. Is he better than some of these retreads and deserving of a spot in the opening day rotation? Sure, you can make that argument. But they also know that for his development and given how little he's pitched as a professional, it's probably best for him to start at AAA, have a little bit of success there, monitor his innings, and then call him up when he's truly ready. Because you also, the last thing you want to do is end up having to send him down when he's not truly ready. You don't want a Lucas Giolito situation where it starts off well or doesn't go well. Now you have to send him down, call him back up, bounce up and down. So we're going to see him at some point. There are some other kids that we may see along the way. Let's focus on what the rotation looks like later in the year versus on opening day. Beyond Cavalli, would any of the top Nats pitching prospects be called up this season, or you think more likely than not, it's just Cavalli this season? Um, I think there are some others we could see. Cole Henry, depending on how things go with him, is somebody we could see. Gerardo Carrillo, who pitched last night in relief, another guy they got from the Dodgers. There's a question about whether he's a starter or ultimately a reliever. He's got a great arm, but he's kind of all over the place. May just be a two-pitch guy that ends up as a reliever. But I think for now, they still look at him as a starter. So I think there are a few. I don't think Jackson Rutledge is there yet. He's a little younger. Yoan Adone, who we saw on the last day of the season, I think is somebody to keep an eye on, you know, for down the road here at some point. But I do think it's important that what you said, this is a, a somewhat of a transition season. Like it doesn't just all happen at once. And as much as you want to believe that when you start this rebuild, that you're looking at the future of the team growing up together in the big leagues over several years, Sometimes that first year of it is the placeholders with a few guys coming up who are ultimately part of this, but it may be a year or two until it happens. I went back and looked at the 2010 Nationals, which is essentially the first year, 2009 when they bottomed out, 100 lost team, kind of start over. 2010, I think is maybe comparable to where they are this year. Well, Strasburg debuted, so that's kind of like Cavalli. Jordan Zimmerman was already there. That's kind of the Josiah Gray guy. But a lot of the players on that team were not guys who were part of the 2012 division winner. So if we're supposing that maybe 2024, the Nationals are contenders again, yes, some guys we see this year are going to be part of that. But there's a good chance that a decent number of them aren't here yet, either because they're still in the minor leagues or they haven't even been acquired yet. Hey, Nats fans, are you looking to buy or sell a home or an investment property? If so, contact Jamie Coppersmith and the Coppersmith Group at McInerney Associates. A huge Nats fan right from the get-go in 2005, Jamie has repeatedly been recognized by Washingtonian Magazine as a top-producing real estate agent across the DMV. 
Referred to by a client as a Jedi Master of Real Estate, he will bring his expertise to bear on your behalf, helping you understand and navigate this challenging real estate market. Jamie is a five-tool agent who's as patient as Juan Soto at the plate. He has his own version of Moneyball, a strategic and statistical market-based analysis that balanced with a deep respect for your specific real estate needs, goals, and timeline. So whether buying or selling, call Jamie Coppersmith today at 202-525-7471 or visit his website at thecoppersmithgroup.com. That's Coppersmith with a K. Well, I did like this from the Nats on Monday afternoon. The Nats announcing that they had claimed reliever Hunter Harvey off waivers from the San Francisco Giants. This, to me, is exactly the kind of thing the Nats should be doing, taking flyers on guys who have talent, still are relatively young. And yeah, there's a reason a guy like that was available. But if it works out, maybe at the very least, you get a season or two out of the guy. Maybe if he stays healthy, he's someone who you could flip. I mean, Hunter Harvey is a flamethrower. He was taken by the Orioles with the number 22 pick in the 2013 MLB draft. He is entering just his age 27 season. He's been around for a long time. He's still well below the age of 30. The thing with Hunter Harvey is he has been a walking injured list throughout his career. It is unbelievable the extent to which this guy has dealt with injury, but he throws hard, like really hard. And if you could ever somehow get him to stay healthy for a season, he's someone who could be like a back end of the bullpen type. So I was glad to see that from the Nats. Maybe he continues to have injury struggles, but uh, you know, this to me is what they need to be doing, especially with the bullpen, because we know how these relievers are. And, you know, I know that the Nats have made some moves with the pen and something like Steve Ciszek, I think makes a lot of sense, but you know, it's still quite possible the bullpen again this season is a problem. So just take shots, bring in bodies and see what ends up sticking. You never know what these relievers, as we all know. Yeah, that's essentially what they said when they made the move to bring in Harvey. If he's healthy, there's the potential to be something there. If he's not healthy, which is unfortunately what most of his career has been, then it won't have been worth it. But I think they figure they're in a situation where they can afford to take that chance. We'll get a chance to see him here in the next couple of days and catch up with him and see how he's doing. But by all accounts, he is healthy. I'm a little bit curious of why the Giants would just put him on waivers and expose him without ever pitching for them. I know they had some other 40-man moves they had to make and somebody had to be removed from it. But if you're the Nationals, by all means, give it a shot. I think uh, one of the themes of this camp that we're seeing is you bring in as many potentially high-end arms in particular, pitching-wise, knowing they're not all going to actually pan out. But if a couple of them do, then that's great. You have yourself some pieces that can help you now or in the future, or like you said, pieces that can then be moved in July for more future pieces. And I think it's the right strategy for right now. I don't know if Hunter Harvey is going to ever pitch for the Nationals or what he would do for them if he does. But between Tanner Rainey, Kyle Finnegan, Steve Ciszek, Sean Doolittle, Hunter Harvey, Francisco Perez, who's a lefty they got from Cleveland, you know, there's some potential there. Are they all going to pan out? Probably not. But there's some potential. Will Harris, who's back from his injury and is now pitched. So, I mean, you've got arms that have some upside to them. It's just a matter of can you find three of them at least that actually pan out and give you some semblance of a competent bullpen? Yeah. I mean, it's hard to have real faith in the rotation. Maybe the rotation ends up being great, but right now, I mean, it certainly doesn't feel like it's going to be great. So it would be nice if the bullpen was like passable, you know, because that obviously was an issue, especially as last season went on. The bullpen was just so bad. So, you know, you're probably going to have to be leaning on this bullpen a decent amount this upcoming season. So can you at least have a few guys 
on whom you can rely. That would be nice this upcoming year. Another item here. So Nelson Cruz, you know, I love this signing. Nelson Cruz has been an elite power hitter for years, a guy who the Nats potentially could flip this summer. It's a one-year contract with a mutual option. Everybody loves the guy. I don't know if you've gotten a chance to chat with him yet. I know we did an introductory presser last Thursday, but uh, what are your initial impressions of Nelson Cruz? Yeah, kind of exactly what I'd always heard about him. Really upbeat, gregarious guy. He's really loved within the clubhouse. A guy who comes in with instant credibility. He's got a presence, in part because he's just a physical specimen, but everybody knows his track record and what he's done in the sport. And you could see how he's already getting to know guys. So, I mean, Juan Soto, of course, was thrilled. Josh Bell, I just published a story on MassInSports.com about this. Josh grew up in Dallas as a Rangers fan. And as a 19-year-old, he was able to get tickets to World Series Game 3 in 2011 when the Rangers are playing the Cardinals. Nelson Cruz hits a home run in that game. Josh is a big fan of his. That's also the night that Albert Pujols hit three home runs <laughs> to tie the all-time record. And Josh is thinking, you know, as he's telling me the story, he's like looking over a couple lockers down to his left and there's Nelson Cruz and they're now teammates. And he gets to like actually get to know the guy on that kind of level and learn from him to be a better hitter. So very cool experience for him. And here's another little anecdote that I thought is fantastic and shows you the kind of impact that Cruz can make. First day in camp, He's taking live BP off Eric Fetty. And at the end of the session, he walks up to Fetty and tells him something. And what he told him was he picked up on a tell in his delivery. He could tell that he was doing something that gave away whether he was throwing a breaking ball or a changeup, fastball, whatever it was, and picked it up and told him immediately. And it's something that evidently the Nationals themselves had never discovered. So that's what you're getting with Nelson Cruz (laughs) is a guy who has great power skills, but also you know, 15 years of quality big league experience and the understanding and knowledge and willingness to share what he's learned with others. And so I think he's going to make a big difference on this team. Yeah, I saw that anecdote. That was really cool. I also, though, have to ask this question. uh, Why wasn't Jim Hickey or Davey Martinez or someone in Nationals player development making that point to Eric Fetty? I mean, this goes back to something we've talked about. Like, why don't guys get better with the Nationals? So I know it's one thing. And maybe Jim Hickey was about to walk out to the mound and tell Eric Fetty that very same thing. Who the heck knows? But uh, I did get a kick out of that. Nelson Cruz should not be making points that your coaching staff should be making. That, to me, was uh, interesting. But, you know, I was thinking about this, too. If Ryan Zimmerman had not retired, would the Nats have signed Nelson Cruz? And so in that regard... Could you not very much argue that Zimmerman retiring from a baseball standpoint is a good thing for the Nats because they wouldn't have pursued Nelson Cruz and or he wouldn't have wanted to come here had Ryan Zimmerman still been playing? I mean, we all love Zim, but I think if you're a Nats fan and you're at all down about Zimmerman having retired, your consolation prize is one of the best power hitters in Major League history, really. So that's a good thing. But do you think they would have signed Nelson Cruz had Zim not retired? No, I don't. I don't think they would have. And I mean, look, this is not a name that was coming up pre-lockout at all. Uh, And it really only came up in those last 24 hours as it was clear he was available, as we knew for sure that the National League was going to have a DH. You know, they weren't pursuing a DH. They were pursuing a lot of potential big bats to help out their lineup. Maybe someone would have played left field, maybe somebody played third base, whatever. Once it was clear that Nelson Cruz had some interest and he was available and they knew they needed a DH, they specifically targeted him and went after him. But you're right. If Ryan Zimmerman is back, they kind of have to leave that spot open. Not that Zim would have been the everyday DH, but they probably would have spread those at-bats around. They probably would have looked for a bat in left field, to be honest, instead of 
in that kind of role. And so, yeah, it does speak to, and I think we mentioned this in the past, that while they certainly would have welcomed Zimmerman back with open arms, and he would have played an important role, like they were pleased with the role that he had. In a lot of ways, the organization where they are right now, having a backup first baseman and sometimes DH, who doesn't really do a lot else, was probably not best for roster construction overall. And so having him retire does open the door for them to pursue other things. And I think Nelson Cruz absolutely is here because Ryan Zimmerman retired. Yeah, I mean, the one tough thing with Cruz is that he is unplayable in the field. Well, he's taking grounders at first (laughs) so far here in camp, and he played a couple innings there last year. He talks it up like he can do it. We'll see if that actually happens. My guess is he probably will not. Yeah, I think uh, Keith Hernandez's reputation is safe. You know, you brought up the 2011 World Series, famous play in that World Series, a David Freeze triple, and uh, Nelson Cruz was humbled defensively on that play. But like I said, he is a spectacular hitter. So you're willing to put up with the no defense, but you can't play him in the field. Like if you're going to play Nelson Cruz, he has to be your DH. So they are kind of locked into that now. Like Cruz, if he stays healthy, he's going to have to end up being your DH for like 140, 150 games this coming season. Yeah. And it does prevent you from say giving Josh Bell a day off to DH or other guys around the field who might do that. So it does lock them in, in a way that they weren't necessarily anticipating, but I think they figured the benefits outweigh the negatives in that case. Yeah, and I think that they do. Well, you tell us what you think. You can always tweet us at Nats underscore chat. You can email us as well, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. If you're listening to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please give the podcast a five-star rating if you haven't yet done that. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, you're allowed to write these reviews of the podcast. If you could take like 30 seconds to just write one or two sentence reviews saying how much you like the podcast, that's much appreciated. Uh, The ratings and reviews help to make the podcast successful. We thank everyone for listening. We thank everyone for spreading the word. Uh, Once the regular season gets going, we'll be coming at you the morning after every Nationals game. And some days we'll have multiple Nats games with the Schedule bunched in tight off the lockout, but baseball is coming. Opening day is coming up on April 7th. And so for Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Here's one into right. At the wall, Cruz has hit another. A two-run shot, and it's a 5-3 game.